0: This is the Latter-day Strength Podcast, and I'm your host, Steve Baer. The purpose of this podcast is to turn our weak faith in Christ and our lack of sight into strength. The kind of strength that not only allows us to behold great and marvelous things, but causes us to truly love the Lord and to seek after Him in all things. Today we are talking about planting your tree of life. But as always, I have a few interesting twists that I hope to share with you today. We're going to talk about the tree of life by studying Alma chapter 32. So, plot twist! (laughs) In the last two episodes, we spoke about Alma 32 and the parable of the seed. Alma invited the Zoramites, and then Mormon, by extension, invites us as the Latter day Saint audience to experiment upon the words and exercise a particle of faith, yea, have just a desire to believe. So, what seed are we actually planting? Well, I believe the seed that Christ tells us to sow in the parable of the sower is the same seed that Alma invited the humble Zoramites to sow, which is the same seed that grows into the tree of life. So cue the doubters. I don't know, Steve. How do you know that, Steve? Well, I don't know, but here's what I've surmised. In 1 Nephi 8, Lehi describes the tree of life like this. and This starts in verse 10. It came to pass that I beheld a tree whose fruit was desirable to make one happy. And it came to pass that I did go forth and partake of the fruit thereof. I beheld that it was most sweet above all that I had ever tasted. And I beheld that the fruit thereof was white to exceed all the whiteness that I had ever seen. So a couple words stand out to me. Happy, sweet, white. Nephi's description of the tree of life is thus... This is verse eight of chapter eleven. And it came to pass that the spirit said unto me, "Look," and I looked, and I beheld a tree, and it was like unto the tree which my father had seen, and the beauty thereof was far beyond, yea, exceeding all of all beauty, and the whiteness thereof did exceed the whiteness of the driven snow. And it came to pass that I had seen this tree, sorry, after I had seen this tree, I said unto the spirit, "I behold, thou hast shown unto me the tree which is precious above all." So in those verses, the words that stand out to me are beauty, whiteness, and precious. Precious! (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) So let's start (laughs) with the end in mind and go to Alma 32 and the description that Alma gives of the tree that grows from planting the seed of faith. This is verse 42 of Alma 32. Because of your diligence and your faith and your patience, With the word in nourishing it, that it may take root in you. Behold, by and by ye shall pluck the fruit thereof, which is most precious, that's how Nephi described it, which is sweet, which is how Lehi described it, above all that is sweet, and which is white, that's Lehi and Nephi, above all that is white, yea, and pure above all that is pure. And ye shall feast upon this fruit even until ye are filled, that ye hunger not, neither shall ye thirst. So Alma uses words that describe the fruit that Lehi and Nephi saw, precious, sweet, and white. But more important than this insight is what is found in verses 40 and 41 of Alma 32. And thus, if you will not nourish the word, looking forward with an eye of faith to the fruit thereof, ye can never pluck of the fruit of the tree of life. So Alma specifically says that if we do not nourish the word and don't look forward with an eye of faith, we will never pluck of the fruit of the tree of life. Then verse 41, But if ye will nourish the word, yea, nourish the tree as it beginneth to grow, by your faith and with great diligence, and with patience looking forward to the fruit thereof, it shall take root. And behold, it shall be a tree springing up unto everlasting life. The footnotes listed for springing up, Unto Everlasting Life is a very fascinating study. In the next chapter, which is Alma 33, Alma invites these humble Zoramites to do the following. And this is verse 23. And now, my brethren, I desire that ye shall plant this word in your hearts, and as it beginneth to to swell, even so nourish it by your faith. And behold, it will become a tree, springing up in you, Unto everlasting life, and then may God grant unto you that your burdens may be light through the joy of his Son, and even all this ye can do if ye will, if ye want it. I also found an amazing reference to that phrase springing up unto everlasting life in doctrine and covenants sixty three verse twenty three but unto him that keepeth my commandments, I will give the mysteries of my kingdom. And the same shall be in him a well of living water, springing up unto everlasting life. Well of living water, bread of life, tree of life, it's all a metaphor for Jesus Christ. And the mysteries of God really come down to knowing intimately our Savior and our Father, and dare I say our Mother, And it can only be done if we go to the tree, and if we stay there, and if we want to feast. The tree doesn't represent eternal life. The reason I believe that the tree of life does not specifically symbolize eternal life is because of the fact that in Lehi's dream and Nephi's dream, there are people who partake of the fruit and end up feeling ashamed and walk away from the tree. You can't walk away from eternal life. So this phrase, springing up, tells me that it's about potential. A seed that springs up has potential to grow into something much larger and stronger. It also has the potential to get stepped on, malnourished, underwatered, or plucked out of the ground. So let's do a study in Alma 32 about how to create a tree of life out of our little seed of belief. So we're going to start... In verse 27, behold, if ye will awake and arouse your faculties, even to an experiment upon my words, and exercise a particle of faith, yea, even if ye can no more than desire to believe, let this desire work in you, even until ye believe in a manner that ye can give place for a portion of my words. So, Let's define a few words with our friend Noah Webster in his 1828 Dictionary. Awake, to rouse from sleep. Arouse, (laughs) to excite into action that which is at rest. To stir or put in motion or exertion that which is languid. As to arouse one from sleep, to arouse the dormant faculties. (laughs) And then when you define faculties... That power of the mind or intellect which enables it to receive, revive, or modify perceptions as the faculty of seeing, of hearing, of imagining, of remembering, or in general, the faculties may be called the powers or capacities of the mind. These great words describe a quality of waking up and receiving what the Lord is willing to teach us in meekness and humility, right? And just as in the last episode, it talks about the desire to believe, the desire to experiment upon the word and give place for a portion of the word is an invitation to us to wake up all of these things inside of us that are going to now get into action. So here are some of the conditions through which we can plant the seed that springs up unto everlasting life, which turns into a tree of life. One, awake and arouse faculties. Two, experiment upon the word. Three, have a desire to believe. And four, give place for a portion of Alma's words. Let's keep going going in the chapter. Verse 28, we will compare the word unto a seed. Now, if you give place that a seed may be planted in your heart, Behold, if it be a true seed or a good seed, if you do not cast it out by your unbelief, that you will resist the spirit of the Lord, behold, it will begin to swell within your breasts. So verse 27 gave us four conditions. Um, awake and arouse your faculties, experiment upon the word, desire to believe, and then give place for a portion of Alma's words. Then verse 28 adds some additional ones. Plant the seed in your heart, If it's a true seed, if it's a good or godly seed, if you don't cast it out by your unbelief, and if you don't resist the spirit of the Lord, then it will begin to swell within your breasts. And when you feel these swelling motions, you will begin to say within yourselves, it must needs be that this is a good seed. Or that the word is good, for it beginneth to enlarge my soul, it beginneth to enlighten my understanding, yea, it beginneth to be delicious to me. The 1828 definition for swelling is this growing or enlarging in its dimensions. So when this seed breaks and it begins to grow or it enlarge within us, then We must be able to say that this is a good or godly seed, that the word is godliness, because the effect on us is that our godliness is growing or enlarging. I remember on my mission having a discussion with someone who genuinely asked me about the use of the word good in that verse. And his question is well, can't any seed grow? So, what if it grows? All seeds grow. And I wish I had known before what I know now, that every time I see the word good in Scripture now, I replace it with the word godly. Now fortunately, verse 28 lays out a couple of additional indicators that the seed is a good one. It enlarges our souls. It enlightens our understanding. It begins to be delicious unto us. If we think back to Moroni 7 and the way to judge that anything that invites us to be godly, not, not just good, but godly, and to persuade to believe in Christ is sent forth by the power and gift of Christ, then we may know with a perfect knowledge it is of God. By adding on this third point, that it beginneth to be delicious unto us, that our desire for faith in Christ grows, we crave it, it's yummy, we want to feast, these are indications that the word is godly because our soul is now craving the opportunity to come unto Christ. One danger that occasionally comes up is how people get sucked into intellectual pursuits of scriptural and gospel knowledge at the expense of other things. So for the intellectuals out there, if your study makes you a more devoted, Christ-loving, and people-loving person, then you can know that it's of God and not just an intellectual hobby. So for me, this podcast must produce godly fruits, the kind that cause me to love Christ and love other people with more godliness. Otherwise, it would simply be an intellectual pursuit. Let's go on in verse twenty nine, which is cool because it says, Hey, if you've abided by all these conditions and you've felt these swelling motions, and your soul is enlarged, your understanding is enlightened, and that coming unto Christ has been become delicious to you, then would not this increase your faith? I say unto you, yea, it does. It increases your faith. One thing that Alma says in verse 29 is, Yea, nevertheless, it hath not grown up to a perfect knowledge. So yes, of course, all of these sentiments inside of us, all of these things that are causing us to feel an enlarged soul, an enlightened mind, and a craving for the Lord, will not necessarily make us have a perfect knowledge. I think Alma is pointing out that, that the end of all of this, the purpose of planting this seed is for it to grow up to become a perfect knowledge of Christ. Which also tells me that one of the qualities of the tree of life is to have a perfect knowledge of Christ. Those are the mysteries of God, but that certainly would be a great and marvelous thing, to have a perfect knowledge of Christ. Now verse 30 says, Behold, as the seed swells and sprouts and begins to grow, then you must needs say that this seed is godly or good. Um, and now behold, will not this strengthen your faith? Yea, it will strengthen your faith. For you will say, I know that this is a good or godly seed, for it sprouts and begins to grow. Now there's a lot of repetition in there. But basically Alma is saying, hey, The seed is growing. Therefore, you will know it is a godly seed, and this will strengthen your faith in Christ. In verse 31, Behold, are you sure that this is a good or godly seed? I say unto you, yea, for every seed bringeth forth its own likeness. Therefore, if a seed grows, it is good or godly. But if it grows not, it is not good. It is not godly. Therefore, cast it away. So the fact that it grows, the fact that it swells, that it enlarges your soul and becomes delicious is proof that it is godly. Otherwise, it should be cast away. And then Alma repeats himself again in verse 33, but more importantly is the effect that the seed has on us. Does it cause us to desire more godliness in our life? Does it cause us to act more godly? Now behold... Because you have tried the experiment and planted the seed, and it swelleth and sprouteth and beginneth to grow, ye must needs know that the seed is good. So let's pause on this. Seeds of all kinds grow. Seeds of dandelions grow very easily. Seeds of other weeds grow. Seeds are designed to grow. Alma is comparing the word of God to a seed. If it is godly, it will grow. If it is not godly, it will not grow. This is a very intentional experiment. We're not talking about building a grow box in your backyard and planting corn six inches apart. This experiment is done for the purpose of coming unto Christ and discovering if the words that we are being taught are true and godly. So when we come back to verse 34, Behold, is your knowledge perfect? Yea, your knowledge is perfect in that thing, and your faith is dormant. And this because you know... For you know that the word hath swelled your souls and you also know that it hath sprouted up and your understanding doth begin to be enlightened and your mind doth begin to expand. Now, do we have a perfect knowledge of all things? No, but we do know that whatever seed we planted in our hearts has swelled our souls. It sprouted up, it enlightened our understanding and expanded our mind. So therefore we know that this little seed must be godly. There's something to this. Now, I've experienced this lately. I'm in the process of doing in-depth studies on many, many, many things. Elements of church history and the gospel, and sometimes my conclusions about these things don't quite fit the narratives that I have believed most of my life. In one particular area of study, which I won't name specifically right now, the conclusions I came to defied the official narrative. When I brought these conclusions to Jenny, she became a little uncomfortable with them. But 18 months into changing my paradigm on this one issue, she can see how I followed the steps that, Al, that Alma outlines in his sermon, which is I awoke and arose my faculties. I woke up and I use all the capacities of my mind to understand this thing. Number two, I experimented upon the word. I had a desire to be instructed on this issue. I gave place for a portion of the words. Like, let me test this one concept. What happens when I plant this seed in my heart? Does it grow? Or does it cause me to feel darkness? Does it cause me to feel empty? So, planted the seed. I didn't cast it out because of my own unbelief or because of my own preconceived notions. And I certainly didn't resist the spirit of the Lord. Then I could tell that the seed was a true seed of God because the effect of learning about these things did the following to me. It enlarged my soul and made me a much better person. It enlightened my understanding and it began to be delicious unto me. The study that I started almost 18 months ago has brought me Closer and closer to the Lord. It caused me to dive into the scriptures to where I crave the opportunity to sit quietly and study and type out this podcast and share the things that I have learned with you as my audience and with my children when we do family devotionals. I am now craving it. So combined with the teachings of Mormon and Moroni, these things invited me to be more godly and persuaded me to believe in Christ with more fervor. Therefore, I could know that they were sent forth by the power and gift of Christ. Now, I apologize that I'm speaking vaguely about the topic, but the purpose of this podcast isn't to be controversial or to create a metaphorical comment section where people can contend and dispute over certain points of doctrine. There are plenty of opportunities for that on the internet. My purpose is to create latter-day strength, not latter-day debate. Before our tangent, we were in verse 34 talking about how the seed enlarges our souls, enlightens our minds, and becomes delicious to us. Then Alma says this, Oh, then is not this real? I say unto you, yea, because it is light, and whatsoever is light is good. Or godly, because it is discernible. Therefore, ye must know that it is good. It is light. Light equals godly because it's discernible, and because it's discernible, it is also godly. Let me end this episode by quoting Second Nephi twenty-six. This is verse twenty-three. For behold, my beloved brethren, I say unto you that the Lord God worketh not in darkness. He doeth not anything. Save it be for the benefit of the world, for he loveth the world, even that he layeth down his own life, that he may draw all men unto him. He does that which is light, which is discernible, which invites us to come unto him. He does that which enlarges our souls and enlightens our minds. It persuades us to believe in Christ. If it doesn't do those things, it's a bad seed. It's not godly. It ought to be cast out. And if there's something that you've come across in your study of all of the historical narratives that isn't light, that isn't easily discernible, that doesn't enlarge your soul nor enlighten your mind, then maybe that thing is simply not true. The beauty of the gospel is you have an entire packet of seeds, We don't have to accept that every seed given to us in the entire packet is good or godly because the packet says latter-day seeds on it. Maybe there are a couple seeds in the packet that simply are not very godly. It's okay to cast them out instead of casting out the entire seed packet. I'm speaking to those of you who feel some sort of crisis Focus on your testimony of Christ. Plant that seed in your hearts, the one that actually grows into a tree of life. Use the Book of Mormon as your manual to come unto Christ and watch the magic happen. Of this I testify in my weakness. Amen. For if they... Things become strong.